0: if in that moment of great challenge you choose to do what you don't feel like doing you don't go to automatic but you do something very very you know bold you just did something that's worth divine gold
1: thanks to Athena Club for supporting my show. Why deal with razor burn and wasteful disposable razors? Get the best shave of your life with Athena Club razor kit. Go to athenaclub.com and use code dreamjob to get 20% off your first order. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the podcast. We have such a deep conversation to share with you today. You know, people say this is deep. This is so amazing. And we throw these words around and I get it. I've done 600 and 20 or so interviews. And truly, I'm always blown away. And then there are certain conversations which just crack your heart right open. And this is one of those conversations, I think you're going to find it just really nourishes you. So I'm really excited to dive into it. I also want to say that I'm so excited because this coming Monday, we have our retreat in Malibu and it is sold out. We have 80 beautiful women from all around the world, really, coming together. And I'll definitely share with you guys some highlights and how the experience goes. I'm just really always just feel so incredibly blessed to be in this circle and really feeling how things like this just move, move the tide. So I'll definitely circle back on that. And if you want to come to an event that we do, we will be letting you know because I think we're going to start doing them more and more and more. The next one we have going on is only for 14 women. It's a very intimate, we're calling it our luxe experience. It's going to be two days at Casa Del Mar in Santa Monica, September 6th and 7th. We already have several spots filled, but if you want to look into it, you can go to kathyheller.com slash And if that's not what you need right now, then stay tuned because we will have other things going on. There'll probably be more of these three-day retreats um, for approximately 100 or so women, and we'll be doing another one probably in October. So I will let you know as soon as we have all the details. Okay, well, I'm excited for you to hear today's episode because we have one of my favorite souls back on the show, Rabbi David Aaron. He's been on the podcast a few times. He's probably the most influential person in my whole life, probably really has impacted my life more than any teacher. And uh, I always say that meeting him was like hitting control alt delete on the operating system that I was walking around with. And what I really learned not just from the way he speaks and what he says, but really from what he just is, is I really learned that we are each a masterpiece, a piece of the master, that we are each completely and totally loved and needed. And without each one of us, this puzzle doesn't become whole. And isn't that such an important thing to know? So, in case you don't know who Rabbi Aaron is, he is an author. He wrote a book called Endless Light. He is just so inspiring. If you've ever been interested in mysticism, Kabbalah, the universe, the way reality and how to look at it in such a bigger, broader way, I definitely think you might want to read his book, Endless Light. You'd probably love it. He's so special. And today we're going to talk about really juicy topics like why you might even be grateful for having an ego and how to find happiness in sad moments and how to get to the core of why we're here and what we're here to do. I think you're going to walk away from this conversation feeling so enriched and inspired. So I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. Without further ado, please welcome the one and only phenomenal, incredibly wise Rabbi David Aaron.
2: Since Rabbi Aaron is who he is and he's just been like on this very humble, gorgeous quest, just learning and learning and learning for so, so long, I feel like more than ever, right? We're all asking big questions, like, "What's this about?" And you know, sometimes we we've gotten pretty far, right? A lot of us have kind of figured out a lot of spiritual technology to even be sitting here. But then there's probably things, right that you want to know more about. And I think it would just be nice to. Just have this open dialogue and ask some questions about when you go to sleep at night, you hit your head on the pillow. Like, is there any little gap in sort of how you're looking at where you are, where this universe begins and you start? And is it all part of this one thing? So I, I want to open it up. Does anybody have something you've been thinking about? And if not, then I, I'll ask Rabbi Aaron a question.
0: Actually, can, can I open up with a little introduction about myself? because we are kind of going to go in a question answer or at least try answer uh, format. So uh, I'm a son of a survivor. My mother was in the concentration camp and my mother never ever spoke about the concentration camp. She just screamed about it in the middle of the night in her dream. And when I was young, I heard my mother screaming in the middle of the night and I, I assumed it was nightmares of the concentration camp. And I lay there, and I was bombarded with questions. Is there a God? And if there's a God, is he good? And if he's good, why is the world so bad? And if we're supposed to be the chosen people, I wish he chose somebody else. And uh, that's really been how I started my journey. Everything I've written and teach is all because it's what I myself have struggled with. Uh, the answers I share are the answers that I've been looking for, not because I've been trying to answer somebody else's questions. I'm a bit of a tormented soul that has uh, really struggled with um, with those questions since I'm a little boy. I did not experience some of the terrible situations people have experienced in their life. I was not abused and things like that, you know. But in my own way, spiritually, I've been struggling, and I continue to struggle in terms of trying to make any sense of my sense that this is all really, really, really meaningful and really matters. So that's where I'm coming from. I, uh, you know, it's, it's been my journey and I'm happy to share my journey with other people. So I just wanted so, to kind of-
2: That's so beautiful. Stage. I mean, I have a question for you. I guess I can start by asking because this is something that people ask me all the time. People will say, you know, I really want to feel good but this thing over here is so bad, right? What's going on in Ukraine is so bad, or I really would love to feel good, but, you know, so-and-so I know this person has leukemia. I would love to feel good, but this thing is happening. And so what I've learned, you know, over the last, I don't know how many years is like, we get to focus our attention, right? And no one can perceive reality for us or focus our attention for us, right? Right. And I try to help people to focus their attention, you know, where it feels like it's going to offer the most, you know, in in their life. But what is that about where people will beat the drum of like, I'd love to feel good, but here's the evidence of why that's not really possible. Is it that like, there is really what to feel bad about? Or is it that there is just this beautiful contrast in the world that is just part of it? And we don't necessarily need to allow that to knock us out of alignment.
0: Wow. Didn't start small. (laughs) Let's just go right in there. You know, there's, there's three things. There's looking good, feeling good, doing good. Sadly, a lot of the world is focusing very much on looking good. And that's not going to be enough. uh, You know, Maybe it'll last for some period of time for some people. But eventually looking good is just not enough. A lot of people hope that if they look good, they'll feel good. And I think they do feel good, but I don't know for how long. Torah's attitude is, if you want to feel good, you do good. Now, There's a lot of bad going on in the world, which means there's a lot of opportunity for us to do good. And whatever that bad is, that is kind of, Coming up on our radar, you know, for instance, uh, I taught a class uh, at a public event and a fellow came up to me and he said, don't you think the plight of the Ethiopian Jews should be the number one agenda that we should address? And I said, I think it's the number one agenda agenda that you need to address. And he said, why? I said, because I don't know anything about what's going on with the Ethiopian Jews. I didn't even know there was a problem. You know, it's just, it's not something I know about. I don't know why I don't know about it, but it's its not what I know about, but it's something obviously that you know about. And it's something that really, really bothers you. So I, I read an article by a fellow and he said something that I really liked. He said, you know, with children, it's not uncommon that we ask, when we're being asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm like, I don't know when you're a kid, how do you really know what you want to be when you grow up? But uh, when I was a kid and I, all my friends wanted to be hockey players and football players and <laughs> boxers, I wanted to be a doctor. Because <laughs> my mother told me that when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, you're Jewish, you'll be a doctor. OK, fine. But uh, but that's what we ask our children. You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? This fellow suggested that we maybe ask a better question. What problem would you like to be part of salt? And this is the question I ask my students. My students are little not little boys. A lot of my students in my yeshiva, I have students beyond my yeshiva, are 18-year-olds. I say, the first thing you want to ask yourself is, what problem do you want to be part of solving in the world? And that is going to be how you tune into a good part of your mission in life. Because for me, what I want to be part of solving is, uh, in the most broadest sense, I want to help people suffer less and feel happier. And that's because I felt my mother was suffering. And I didn't feel she was as happy as she could be. I don't remember seeing my mother laugh with a big belly laugh. She wasn't depressed. She was an incredibly energetic woman. She was a little short, skinny woman. She had so much energy. But I saw sadness in her eyes. And I grew up with that sadness. And I think part of my own struggle is I felt guilty to be happy because I felt I was abandoning my mother. And so I had to work on. Learning to accept my happiness and not feel that it's not valid because my mother's not happy. And maybe my mother was happy. You know, what do I know? I was a kid, I was reading into it. We never had that conversation. But if somebody were to ask me, what problem would you like to be part of solving? Well, in the big picture, it'd be I want to help people suffer less and feel happier in their lives. If I then kind of boil it down, I personally think the way to help people do that is to give them faith, because I feel that if we don't have faith, if we don't believe that there's a mastermind that is created and is designed and is, and is directing this world, I think it's going to be very hard to be happy. You know, There's so much horrible things going on, and of course, that's a, a big question, like how can there be a God with all these horrible things going on? But I think you know we won't be able, in every specific case, give some answer to that, but at least we can do something about that. And I think that's what we're here to do. We're here to do good. And what good are you? That's the question that a person has to ask. You know, the good that I want to be is, uh, you know, I could have gone in a lot of directions in my life. And as a child, I thought I'd go into acting, but when I became a teenager, I thought, you know what, maybe I'd be an educator. And I would use my skills in acting to, to be an educator. And what do I wanna educate people about? I wanna help people understand what this is all about. Because I think when we can contextualize our lives, it becomes uh, easier to handle and, and Kathy, you know this story, but you know when my wife was giving birth to our first child, and I was gonna try and help my wife breathe, in the meantime, I'm hyperventilating. <laughs> and I'm trying to get her to calm down, but she turns to me in the middle of contraction, she says, you calm down, you know, and I was just like beside myself to a point where I eventually got an epidural, you know, because I just couldn't handle it. And so my wife was in the most intense contractions. And in between two contractions, she looked at me with such perfect calm. And she said to me, please calm down. And then she went into an ex- it. I was near the end and she went to an ex- a- a- excruciating, painful contraction she came out of it and again with total peace. She said, I might be in excruciating pain, but I'm not suffering. And then she went into another contraction which sure looked like suffering to me. She came out of that and she said, this is the most purposeful pain I could dream of having. And she said, suffering is pain without purpose. And I'm not suffering. But when you give pain purpose, you turn it into power. You turn it into growth. And so how can I feel good when there's so much bad in the world? I can feel good that I'm going to go do some good. You know, imagine a fellow shows up in an amusement park and he's so excited. He loves, you know, he's in Disneyland. He just loves the rides. And he runs to a ride and there's no lineup. And he thinks it's so interesting. Turns out that the ride is broken. Okay, so it runs to another ride, and there's no lineup. It doesn't stand, but it's also broken. Turns out that the entire amusement park is broken. So someone comes up to him and says, oh, we've been waiting for you. So why? what do you mean waiting for me? This, 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 this entire amusement park is broken. Do you know I mean? That's why you're here. What do you mean, why am I here? Well, it says on the back of your T-shirt, you know, amusement park repairman. Isn't that who you are? And then suddenly he realizes, wow, this is a dream park. Because there's so much here that's broken because that's what I do. I fix things. We're all fixers. We've come to this world to fix what's broken. Within ourselves, within our friendships, within our families. There's so much that's broken. Within and without. But that's what we came here to do. We came here to fix what's broken.
2: My God, it's so beautiful. I'm going to ask him one more question, which is, Rabbi Aaron was a while ago. He was on Larry King with Deepak Chopra and Marianne Williamson. And I recently had Deepak Chopra on the podcast. And I said, what's the purpose of life? And he said, to know who you are. And I said, well, who are we? And he said, you're the divine pretending to be a person. <laughs> and I want to know what you think about that, Rabbi Aaron. And that was the question I text. Rabbi Aaron, and I text a lot. So I literally text him this. I go, so if we're the divine pretending to be a person, so how do I like give over my life to God? If I am God, like, and I don't know where he stops and I begin. And how do you, I don't make sense of that. So he's like, maybe not for a text. Like let's talk about this on, on, in live conversation. But he said that so simply to me, right? You're the divine pretending to be a person. And if we say Shema Yisrael Hashem Echad, right? Like this is only one, one unified field, one, 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 one. Right. So I don't get it. It's like, I want him to be in control. And yet, when i'm meditating and i find that part of me that's aligned that's the witness of me that higher consciousness like like you say if god was the sun so to speak we'd be the ray of the sun i don't get it like how do i make sense of that while still being humble enough to let him lead what does it mean that we are the divine pretending to be a person when we have these very loud egos and all of that
0: okay i personally would edit the pretending but uh but it's very very close let me put it this way. Let's say I have two friends. I really don't have any friends, but I' I'm, I'm just joking. Let's say I have two friends. One is good, was good, always will be good, cannot but be good. Is he good? He's good, but he's kind of a good robot. He is kind, was kind, always will be kind, cannot but be kind. And if my friend sees that there is you know, a command to be hospitable. Uh, he's been doing it anyways. He can't not do it. He's compulsively, obsessively kind. So is he kind? Yeah. But then I have another friend. And, and he's challenged in kindness. He's got a bit of a stingy side to him. And, uh, and, and being good isn't always comes natural to him. And so when he sees that he has a command to be hospitable, That's a tough one for him, and he's happy there's other commandments that maybe he could opt for those and not have to deal with this one, but he realizes that he really needs to deal with this one, so he chooses. Even though he doesn't feel like being kind, he chooses to be kind. Which one of my friends has demonstrated a richer form of kindness? My friend who is compulsively, obsessively, compulsively kind and cannot but be kind, Or my friend, who is kind even when he doesn't feel like it, but chooses to do it anyways. I think we all intuit that the one that chooses to be kind has, certainly, I don't know if uh, it's better, but it's certainly a rich kind of kindness. Okay, so let's go back to God. Uh, When I was in kindergarten, I was told that God is good. He is good. He was good. He always will be good. Well, wait a second. Does the absolute good have the freedom to include the possibility of a goodness that is demonstrated by overcoming challenge and choice? If you say that God cannot include that, you would be limiting God. You would say that God is not almighty. And the almightiness of God, can God include within his manifestation the possibility of facing evil? struggling with inner challenge and courageously choosing to do good? Well, the answer is yes, God can do that. You're that part of God. See, Judaism says there's really nothing but God. And I'm not God, you're not God, we're that part of God. We in our humanness, we in our vulnerability, we in our deep challenges, We facing, everywhere we go, seduction. If we choose to be calm when we feel like getting angry, wow. You know, wow. If we choose to smile when we feel like screaming, wow. Can God do that? Yes, he can. You're how he does that. And that's what happens. You know, imagine... You have a fellow, and he's in the army, and he, uh, his entire platoon is under attack, and they're, they're at risk of being completely wiped out. And this guy runs in the middle of the battlefield and saves everybody. I mean, would he not get an award, right? What we call in Hebrew, Ot Kavod, he would be given a, a, an award of glory, Medal of Honor, Okay. Well, let's say just before the dinner and the presentation of this great medal of honor, he says, look, I'm feeling uncomfortable about this. Then why? He says, well, I, I, I don't know, but something you don't know about me. What's that? Uh, I'm made of steel. You're made of steel? Yeah. And bullets bounce off of me. So, when I ran into the middle, there wasn't anything courageous because I knew that bullets bounce off of me. And, anyways, which you don't know about me, I'm psychic. I know the future. So, I knew that nothing would happen to me. So, does he really deserve a medal of honor when he's psychic and invincible? No. And yet, we talk about the honor of God. What honor does God deserve when he's psychic? Invincible, almighty, where does God include the manifestation of true glory, true honor? You. You are the manifestation. When you look challenge in the face and choose to courageously say what you need to say. And our greatest challenges in life is to do what we don't feel like doing. Animals do what they feel like doing. Human beings can do what they don't feel like doing. I feel like being mean. I choose to be kind. I feel like screaming at my kid. I choose to hold back and smile and compliment them. I choose to get angry. I feel like getting angry. But so much of life, and that is when you embody divinity. So it's not God pretending to be human. The human situation is a vital part of the greatness of God. Now, not that God has to include this, because anything I would say that God has to do would be a limitation. But to say that God is free to include the manifestation of choice, glory, and courage. You know, I, I remember there was a woman in Israel who had significant challenges in fertility. And... Even though she was told to stop trying, I can't remember how many times she tried and lost the child, but it was, like, mind-boggling. And the pain she went through to try and have a child. And then she finally had a child, and it was such amazing news. It was actually on the news in Israel, for all of Israel. And I saw that woman with her child, and I said, can God do that? You know, God is up there, snaps his finger, let's have a child, you know. Yeah, God can do that. That's how God does that. That's the greatness. In fact, one might make a case that you're the better part of God. Imagine that. You're the better part of God. Because you face challenges. You courageously make choices. And you don't know the future. And you don't know the outcome. And you take risks. Can God take a risk? Yeah. Yeah. You're the part of God that can take a risk, but a God that can't take any risks. How great is, he? you know, there's things that people are doing that we should just be in awe of. And you should know that, so to speak, God is in awe of us. Of course, we're that part of God, like you're in awe of your children. One of the blessings that we say to our children Friday night is, the last part is may Hashem lift his face up to you. So one of the explanations I heard is may you always feel that God looks up to you. God would look up to me. I've got such issues and problems, and I've lost my cool and I've God looks up to me. Yeah, yeah. If in that moment of great challenge. You choose to do what you don't feel like doing. You don't go to automatic, but you do something very, very, you know, bold. You just did something that's worth divine gold. That's what we're here to do. So we're here to choose good. And everybody has a different good that they're here to choose, you know. And everybody's being put into a drama, whether it's their children or their marriage or their health or their this or the that. And we're all in this drama that every single one of us is in this drama to make a courageous, not probably one courageous choice, but many courageous choices. And God will look up to you because you just became yourself, your godly self.
2: You know, it's amazing because I've been learning from you for 24 or five years, whatever it is, and this... We
0: started when we were three years old. Remember, remind people that, okay?
2: <laughs> and, uh, you know, this brought tears to my eyes because it's really helping me completely paradigm shift something, which is Debbie, we were recently, she came to one of my retreats and we were meditating and having all these conversations about our soul and abundance. And it was beautiful. And then there was this one piece and she said, but every time you talk about the ego, it's like you judge it so harshly. And she said, I don't know. It just feels like, What do we do with that? What is that? You know, and then what you just said is so fascinating, because if you listen to another Jewish man, Ram Dass, right, who became Ram Dass, which I met
0: Ram Dass in Jerusalem. We had dinner together.
2: (laughs) Okay, I want to hear that story. But like I just heard, you know, I watched his documentary. There's a couple. And this guy's asking him. So what about this space suit? Like what about this like body thing we have? He's like, oh, yeah, the whole point is like you got to overcome it. You got to overcome it. You got to overcome it but this is what's so amazing about Judaism. You know, I was a comparative religion major in college, whatever that got me. It was a little piece. And it's like, every time I'd love something in Buddhism, then I'd read something in Judaism. And I'd be like, oh, that just totally takes it to the next level. Like you didn't believe there was a next level. And what you just said is, no, it's not like you, you need to be like bumping up against this ego. Like, oh, there you are again. Oh God. I mean, this is literally the meditation practice that most people are in is like, Here's me in my resistance, out of alignment, got to get rid of it. Gotta, what you're saying is like, that is literally part of the exact thing that allows you to be as great as you are. So that completely reframes it. It's just gorgeous. And so, you know,
0: important. You, know, you know, Friday night, we sing a song, Shalom Aleichem. And we're taught that these two angels show up at our meal. And we welcome these two angels. The question is, who are these two angels? Uh, well, one understanding is that there are the Tov and the Yetzirah. There is the good inclination and the inclination for evil. Let's call it ego. And we're welcoming them, and we're saying that they are angels of peace, because on Friday we're able to look ego in the face and say, "I love you," because without you, I wouldn't have a choice. I wouldn't have a challenge you're actually why I have the ability to grow because you're pushing on me. There's a comedian that had a great line. He said, I wanted to get into shape. And so I joined the gym, but I don't know. They kept asking me to lift heavy things. <laughs> so I left, you know, it's like, yeah, we're here to lift heavy things. And our ego is handing us these heavy things and convincing us. No, you're really separate. You're really not connected to these people. You should just think about your money. Oh, no, no. You you know, your fame is more important than than anything else in the world. And it's really hoping you're going to say no. No, it really wants you to say no, but it's got a job. And its job is to put in your face the opposite. I call the Yitzhara the anti-self. We have within us an anti-self. There's something about us that's trying to self-sabotage us. And rather than seeing it as our enemy, realize it's actually our friend dressed up as our enemy, trying to get us to jump higher, to be stronger, to be more courageous, to learn to say no. I think probably that's the hardest thing for a lot of people is to really say no when you when to know to say no, because that's a that's a big one to say no to that ego and then say, thank you so much for challenging me on that. You know, because if you wouldn't, you know, like Adam and Eve are in the garden of Eden and there's a snake and it says that God created this snake to be the most seductive, most manipulative creature of all. Well, well, that's really nice. Like we could have just enjoyed ourselves, uh, you know, in this garden and, and then, of all things, God says, this tree I don't want you to eat from, I'm going to put it in the middle of the garden. Well, couldn't you put it somewhere behind a mulberry bush? You know, if I don't want my son to touch my new computer, I put it in his bedroom. I then pay his brother to go in there and say, touch it, touch it, touch it. It's it's a setup. The whole thing's a setup. Why? Because Adam and Eve And it's on the sixth day of creation, which is the day they're being created. How does God create you? By putting in front of you a courageous choice. Until you make that choice, you haven't become human. Animals don't make choices. They do what they feel like doing. Human beings could say, you know, there's something more important than what I feel like doing. It's what's right to be doing. And so that's what that was all about. And so the snake really, the the Midrash, the oral tradition, says that the snake actually is a servant of God. A servant of God, and he's waiting for that. And that takes us to the story of Jacob. You might be familiar, Jacob is wrestling with the angel of Asaph, who is the angel of evil. You might say the embodiment of evil. And Jacob is wrestling with the angel. And the angel says, let me go, because it's dawn. So our sages say, what's dawn got to do with it? They're fighting all night. And this evil angel, so to speak, that Yaakov is wrestling with says, let me go. It's dawn. So the sages tell us that what happens at dawn is the angels sing God's praise. And what this evil angel was saying, Jacob, let me go. Because of you, I can finally join the chorus Of those that are singing praises to God. Because you understand that I'm wrestling with you to make you strong. You understand that I'm wrestling with you to get you to clarify who you are. You know that I'm wrestling with you to have the courage to admit to yourself that what you did was with good intentions. So thank you because you looked me in the face and you realize who I am. There's a scene in Batman, which I didn't, I actually saw just a clip of it on YouTube, but one of my students told me about it. It's a scene where Joker, Batman is about to destroy Joker forever. And Joker says to Batman, Batman, you can't do this. You can't get rid of me because without me, you're not Batman. Right? Who are you without me? You need me because that's what makes you a hero. I make you a hero. So your ego is there to make you a hero. And so that's what ego's ego is hoping that you'll say no.
2: It's so beautiful. I know a couple people. Um, I want you, they're such beautiful souls. I want them to get to talk to you. Jenny and Aura.
3: I think Aura, you want to say something of a question? Okay. Yeah. Hi, Rabbi Aaron, Rabbi Hi, David. First of all, everything you said is so beautiful. I have a question on the reverse. So I also do life coaching and I work with, I work with a lot of non-religious people and bringing faith in is a big part of it. But I also work with a lot of religious people and specifically Hasidic people who know all this, they grew up with it. They've been taught this about the ego and putting it aside and being bittel, which means like having stepping back so godliness can come through you. And then there's this side of, we talk a lot about manifestation, co-creating the world with Hashem and all of that. And this is really difficult for them because they really have this idea of faith that God is everything and above all and creating. And so they have a hard time stepping into, I also have a thought, I also have a say. You know, if you believe that like, God is the end all be all and that he everything happens for a reason, then who are you to say I should believe differently about my circumstance, about my life, about the money I make, about the stories I tell myself, because God is the one who created all this and we believe in God. And if I start doing that, then my ego is overstepping myself with godliness. I was wondering from a Torah perspective if there's a way to explain it in a better way that's, you know, cohesive that you might have?
0: So, first of all, I'm not really sure that they do know this. Uh, I think they might hear it and say, oh, I heard that before, but I'm not sure they really, really got it. Because a lot of people have taken the idea of Bittu, which is translated into English as annihilation, and they think that Hashem wants us to leave ourselves and turn ourselves into nothing. That's not what bittel means. What bittel means is to nullify the illusion that you are separate. To nullify the illusion that that certain things are what's going to give you value when your very existence is the very source of your value because you are a part of Hashem. How can you not be valuable? And I think the challenge is that they do not understand that the story is about choice. We have come to this world to make courageous choices. They think that the choice is to simply say, God runs the world and he'll do whatever he wants. But you're actually interpreting And your biggest choice in life is how you're interpreting your situation. You know, and I was at the market the other day and an old man came up to me. And started yelling at me and saying terrible things about me. Now, I didn't know who he was. And I'm trying to figure out, why is this guy saying this to me? Uh, this is not who I am. So I said to him, excuse me, sir, but I don't think we know each other. <laughs> and he said, I know you. And he started yelling at me and saying terrible things about me and walked away. Now, I have a choice. I have a choice to either say, wow, if this happened, it must be God wanting to tell me that I'm a jerk. Or I have a choice to say, wow, this is God challenging me to say, I'm not a jerk. And this was a challenge for me to say, that's not who I am. And I'm not going to let this guy say something. when I know he doesn't even know who I am. But that's a choice that you have to make. And probably the biggest choice in our life is what commentary we give to the situation we're in, the narration, which in Kabbalah is called mochus. Is associated with choice, it's associated with with story, it's associated with faith. Your real choice in life is what you choose to believe. Look, I could choose to believe there is no God, and I could choose to believe there is a God, you know? But I have to own that choice. What difference will it make to myself and the world? And let's say I can't prove there is a God, and you can't prove there isn't. I don't think any of us can, I think we can provide evidence. I think there's greater evidence of God than there isn't. But let's say it was 50-50. You got to choose what you believe. I have to own and realize that what you believe is determining the quality of your life. And so I, I don't know how many people are really taking responsibility for what they believe. I don't even know if a lot of people even know what they believe. I don't know if they ever actually were challenged. Like, what do you, what do you actually believe about yourself? What do you believe about people? You know, a lot of our beliefs we got in our home. You know, the first God in our life was our mother and father. And if God forbid my mother and father were abusive or extremely blaming or constantly criticizing me, I'm going to naturally think that that's God. Because the first model of God were my parents. And and so I'm going to assume that that's God. And I don't even realize I'm living with this God who's out to get me. And a lot of people are living with the God who's out to get you. And one of the ways of do, dealing with that is either not believe in God, which might be the healthiest way thing to do, or to believe that God is out to get you and that your way, your, your ticket to heaven is to allow him to abuse you. You mm-hmm. know, and that's not, I, I don't, I, that's not right. That's really not right. So I, I think one of the challenges is people don't understand that we're here to make choices. You know, Abraham. Abraham is being asked to sacrifice his son. A very difficult and disturbing story. But according to the Ishputz Rebbe, Abram actually doesn't know what he's being asked to do. And he proves it through reading the verses very carefully that Abram doesn't know if God meant to like literally sacrifice him or was he talking about some kind of psychological disidentification with him in a ceremony. Like, what does God really want from me? And according to the Ishpitzer Rebbe, Avram doesn't know. And he has to choose what he believes. This is what God wants from him. And he explains that the great challenges in life is not what's written in halacha. Because what's written in halacha is a kosher sandwich. It's a kosher sandwich. The real place where it happens is when you really don't know. There isn't a clear halacha that tells you what to do. And now you have to listen deep inside and courageously say, I have to take a risk and make a choice because a choice is a risk. It's not a conclusion. Who you're going to marry is not a conclusion. It's a choice. It's a risk. I think a lot of people have given up life because they're not willing to embrace choice and accept the risk of the choices that we make. So I think um, that's where empowerment has to go. Step up, make choices, take responsibility, own your mistake, apologize and do something different. And I think a lot of people are not owning the choices. They're not even making choices.
2: Yeah, thank you. Jenny, do you wanna say something? Does anyone else, I wanna give everyone a chance if you wanna share or ask a question. And I know you have so many beautiful questions.
4: I didn't have any actual questions, but in hearing you talking about uh, about the ego and how they kind of want you to say no and all of this, uh, I was thinking of something that I recently learned from David Sachs, which is that when we have the opportunity to speak leshan hara, like to speak badly about someone or something, and we hold back, that even the angels are jealous of us, that like they yes. can't believe that we exactly able to be at such a level. So
0: That's exactly the point. The angels are saying, wow, human beings are so much higher than we are.
3: Yeah. Thank you, Rabbi Aaron.
0: You know, a fellow, one of my students, he's a counselor in a camp. And he, he just, just the other day, he sent me that, you know, he's, he's feeling jealous of some of the other counselors and the impact they're having on the students. And he really feels bad about that. And I said to him, you're so holy because you feel bad about that. So don't worry about it. The fact that you feel bad about it already means you're on your way out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, what you should worry about is you don't even notice that you're jealous or you don't feel bad about it. And so when a person feels bad about what they're doing, that's a sign that they're actually quite a high soul. You know, losers don't know they're losers. Mm -hmm. That's what makes them losers. Mm -hmm. Anybody that thinks, I think I might be a loser. Oh, you're for sure a winner. (sighs) The fact that you even are thinking about that and struggling with that and disturbed by that. Wow that's impressive.
1: This is so good. Before we keep going, I just want to thank our sponsor. I've had lots of experiences with razors where let's just say things didn't end too well for my legs. They would either get cut up or my skin would be dry and bumpy. And at one point I was kind of like, what's the point of all this? And then I got the Athena Club razor. And now I can say that my faith in shaving has been restored. I've teamed up with Athena Club and they are offering you 20% off your first order when you sign up. Just go to athenaclub.com and use promo code DREAMJOB. These Athena Club razor blades are like magic. They're surrounded by a water-activated serum with shea butter and hyaluronic acid, so you get this silky smooth shave that actually leaves your skin soft and hydrated. And the blades are spaced out to let hair and shave cream pass through easily, so you don't have to shave over and over again to remove hairs, which means less irritation on your skin, less razor burn, and less ingrown hairs. Their razor kit is only $9 with free shipping, and it comes with two blade cartridges, a magnetic hook for shower storage, and your choice of handle color. I got rose because it's one of my favorite colors, but if that's not really your thing, they have a bunch of colors to choose from, from chic black and white to neon and pastel. Plus, you don't have to worry about dull blades because they send refills on your schedule. Just choose how often you need fresh blades, and Athena Club will send them automatically with free shipping, so you always have the best blades for the best shave. I recommend their Cloud Shave Foam too. It's insanely thick and actually stays on while you shave, so you don't have to constantly reapply, and it makes your skin super nourished and moisturized. It's amazing. Why deal with razor burn and wasteful disposable razors when you could be getting the best shave of your life with the Athena Club Razor Kit? Get 20% off your first order at athenaclub.com with promo code DREAMJOB. That's dot com with promo code DREAMJOB for 20% off.
2: We have two more uh, beautiful souls that want to ask you a question. Uh, Jess, you have something you want to say, right?
4: Yes, I just want to make a quick comment. There's something that Rabbi that you said that really resonated with me. And that is I'm constantly thinking about life and what do I want to get out of life and how to get the most out of life and the most meaning out of life. And it really hit home when you said that the purpose or the way to go about this is to think about how to serve and how to serve others and how to help others and what I think is so cool as you were saying this there's so many ways to do that like I'm thinking about how how Kathy and her podcast and and Jenny is saving the world by you know she's saving animals and encouraging a vegan diet and, and how you are preaching so many wise words and I just think it's so cool that let's, it doesn't let's to that to be, sharing yeah, thank wise, you. So I don't like to preach <laughs> but, oh, sorry. Share, share, I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sorry. But, but I'm just thinking there's so many, you know, as I raise my children and I give them advice, guide them on how to be good humans, it really is about that. I think really searching, you know, if you want to get good meaning out of life, I do think it's so helpful to think about how to serve others. And there are just so many ways that that can be done.
0: Right. You know, the other day I saw a bus and on the front of the bus, rather than where it's going, it said out of service. I said, what a miserable bus. You know, I wouldn't want to be a bus out of service. We want to be in service. You know, that's what it means to be alive. Always living in service, serving love, serving good, serving kindness, be a channel. But it's about making choices about that. You know, it's choosing to love when you don't feel like loving, choosing to love people you don't feel like loving, not just the people you feel like loving. So that was very kind words. Thank you very much.
2: I have to chime in and say, Rabbi, uh, David Sachs just joined the call. Do you see yes.
5: so, Aaron, Hi, Kathy. How are you?
2: Before we go, is there something that you want to ask? I mean, you know so much, but is there something you want to ask Rabbi Aaron or share with him?
5: Always. I didn't prepare a question. Um, so, So what's some advice for when I know the right thing to do, but I'm just feeling just in such a place of constricted consciousness. And so my mind and my heart just aren't connected at that moment. And I know they're not connected and I know the right thing to do. And I'm aware of the fact that I'm not doing it and I'm living in the disconnect. How do I get out of that place?
0: Ah, great question. I think we need to learn how to negotiate with ourselves. And I, I remember I, I, I once listened to a podcast on sales. It just interests me, you know. You know, the guy was claiming how to sell anything, you know. So I, I, maybe I'm a little bit of a salesman. I'm selling God, you know. I want to sell God. So, I, so one of the things he said is whenever you walk into, let's say, you go into a place that sells cars. So how do they sell you the car? They first show you the least expensive car. Something that they know you could probably afford. And, and then they get you to say, oh, okay. And they say, look, it, I don't know what your budget is. But if you just add in another $100, you could get this fabulous radio. And you say, oh, huh, I know it's $100. I, I could get a fabulous radio, you know. And so, look, it, you know, excuse me, I just want you to know your options. And basically he said in sales, they never sell you the whole thing. They sell you something small. And I think that's how our Yetzirah gets us, by making it into something big, rather than breaking it down to something small. Say, you know what? I don't feel like doing this. But what of this, in the tiniest way, am I willing to do? And then just do that. And we have a principle that mitzvah gorerit mitzvah, a positive act draws me to the next act. And so let's say a person doesn't feel like you know, studying today. I really don't want to. I have a deep resistance. So I say to myself, you know what? I'm going to make myself a deal. I'm going to study for five minutes and then I'm just going to go to the beach. And I won't feel so guilty because I gave it five minutes. My my bet is you'll give it five minutes, you'll end up giving it maybe even a half an hour. So I think what we need to do is we need to know how to negotiate ourselves and not undermine our growth by asking for all of it and making the big deal, go for the smallest deal you can make of kindness. You know, today I taught a group, of young professionals that are here in Israel, and one of the points I make to a lot of groups is, you know what, don't go to bed without knowing that you did some act of kindness. And it's really easy, right? You could, on your phone, before you go to bed, think about somebody that hasn't heard from you in a while you know like probably your spouse i'm just joking but i think of somebody that you haven't heard from a while and send them a kind note a few words just want to know that thinking about you and i remember you know the time because when you compliment somebody you want to be specific i remember the time that you helped me with my you know with my flat tire and it was the middle of the night and you came rushing to help me i want you to know that You mean so much to me. Do you know you just changed the world? You literally just changed the world because you brought a little more good into the world. But we think the way we're going to change the world is by going after the whole world. And and that's a good way to undermine success. And so thank God we had uh, celebrated our 40th anniversary just uh, two Shabbos ago and our kids did this t-shirt for us and on the back of the t-shirt is you know a drawing they couldn't get a picture but a drawing of our kids and our grandchildren and it said great things happen through small steps and you realize oh my gosh you know it was like it really is what's the next step and so i really do think that there's a saying i once heard don't let the excellent become the enemy of the good. Because the excellent is saying, oh, do something great. Well, I don't feel like doing something great. You know what? That's exactly the point. Find the smallest act that would contribute to this. Go for that deal. And you'll see that you'll be even more available to go a little beyond that too.
5: You know the Richies? Oh, of course. So in their apartment apartment, I don't know, decades ago, I saw it was a little wooden, like a little wooden plaque with an acorn on it. And it said, a mighty oak tree is just a little nut that stood its ground.
0: (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Uh, Awesome. Uh, (laughs) I
2: I want to ask you one more question, just because I love David Sachs so much, and he's here, and I'm like, I don't want to get off if he just came on. So here's a question for you, which is joy, okay? Here's what I notice about joy. My nervous system has a hard time sustaining it. It feels like I start to feel really happy and then it feels like, whoa, why am I worthy of so much joy or what's gonna happen? Oh, I'm so in love with my children Then my thoughts go to, what if something happens? It's just a very vulnerable, amazing gift. And yet what I notice is the cost of feeling good all the time, it must be scary because- so many of the people that I talk to who listen to my podcast, they're constantly beating this drum of what they're upset about. And I'm like, well, you don't have to focus there. You could focus on this. And, and there's like this, almost the nervous system is like avoiding feeling good and sustaining that all day long. Cause there's, it actually feels like it hurts. Like it's scary. Like it's, and, and so I say to myself, God, I've done all this meditation every day, right? I'm, I'm meeting with all these incredible human beings. I've, I, I know so much. And yet I wake up in the morning. Four minutes into waking up, there's that unsettled thing. There's that thing. And I I overcome it, right? I overcome it and then it comes back. Overcome, And then I say to myself, like, the dolphins don't do that. They just dance. You know, the, the redwood trees don't do that. They just enjoy it. It's just a gift. And human beings seem to resist that sustained pedal of being in love with life. And I wonder how can we have more of that rather than having an ego that's hyper vigilant all the time, constantly checking for risks and problems. It's like a little bit of that feels exhausting and ridiculous because there's no saber to tiger here. There's nothing you have to constantly protect yourself from. You could just be in this moment. You could just sustain that. Couldn't you? And it seems like, you know, the Dalai Lama, he looks happy. He looks like David Sachs actually looks pretty happy all the time. Like how do people reach these levels? <laughs>
0: You know, first of all, I think it would be a good thing to say to ourselves every day, I give myself permission to celebrate and feel happy. I think that somehow we've be convinced that we have to earn happiness or that we have to, you know, we, we, we have to expect that it's not going to be here all the time. And, and it's not going to be here all the time, but, but, that, but don't expect that. You know, a friend of mine who's going through a very, very difficult time. He sent me a beautiful little WhatsApp that said, life isn't perfect, but you can fill it with perfect moments. And I think that when we, we need to savor that moment and be in, in that moment. But I think it's OK to know that it'll pass. Because if I was happy and I was always happy and everybody I knew was happy. And every every movie I ever saw was about people that are happy. How would I know I'm happy? You know? So part of knowing I'm happy is having those times where I'm not happy. And I once read a book that says something very, very beautiful about the difference between a depressed person and a happy person. In this book, he claims that happy people and depressed people have the same number of ups and downs. Right. The difference is the depressed people stay in the downs much longer and the happy people just move through them, you know? And so if a person is having their heart monitor, heart monitor, if you see the graph go like this, you're not going to see that because you're dead. Okay. If you see it going up and down like this, you're alive. Okay. So I, I think we should be happy when we're sad. You know, because the saddest moments of my life have actually been some of the most my creative moments in life. And I realized that in the sadness, there was a tremendous amount of happiness. And I remember when my parents passed away and I was in Shiva, I was was mourning. I was very, very devastated. And I was very, 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 very sad. I remember when I went to sleep and I suddenly had this feeling of joy in my sadness. I said, this is really weird. What is this joy I'm having in sadness? And I realized I'm happy that I'm sad because I should be sad. This is really sad. I'm happy I know how to be sad. I'm happy I'm not running away from the sadness. I'm happy that I'm embracing the sadness because this sadness is helping me grow and really honor my loss. And so you can always be happy, but there's a happy of happiness And then there's a happy of sadness. And I think a lot of people are depressed, not because they don't know how to be happy, because they don't know how to be sad. Right? So they kept fighting the sadness. They kept denying the sadness. And because they were denying all this sadness, they find themselves depressed. Okay, I think we should celebrate when we're sad. When we have a good reason to be sad, we should celebrate that. Be happy that I know how to be sad and I'm sad about the things that matter. Because I think a lot of people are sad about what really, really, really just doesn't matter. And it's what a waste of sadness on that.
2: Oh, my God. That's such a gorgeous answer. This has been so beautiful.
0: Thank you so much. Really. Thank you so much, Kathy. And a pleasure to meet you all. And if I can be of any help to anybody, wow, that would be a gift to me. So thank you so much. I would love to be in service. Shalom, shalom. And such a
2: love
1: you guys. This was so beautiful. We're going to do this again soon. Bye-bye. Oh my gosh. So eye-opening. So beautiful. I was crying through so many of his answers. Just so touching. Seriously, everything he says should be required listening. If you want to get more into what he's up to, you can check out rabbi RabbiDavidAaron.com and definitely you can look at his book, Endless Light. I think you will love it. Let's talk about the takeaways. Number one, we're here to do good. So ask yourself, what problem would I want to solve in the world? That will help you tune into a good part of your mission in life. Number two, when you give pain a purpose, you turn it into power, you turn it into growth. Number three, you are the manifestation. You're the better part of God, and God is in awe of us. When you look challenges in the face, you don't do what you feel like doing. You don't go into the automatic, but you do something very bold, and you choose to courageously say what you need to say. That's when you embody divinity. You just did something that's divine gold. Number four, your ego is not your enemy. It's your friend trying to help you jump higher, be stronger, be more courageous, learn to say no. Your ego is there to make you a hero. Number five, we've come to this world to make courageous choices and your biggest choice in life is how you're interpreting your situation. It's what you choose to believe and owning your choices. Take responsibility for what you believe because what you believe determines the quality of your life. Number six, we're most alive when we're in service. Number seven, go for the smallest deal you can make of kindness. You can change the world by adding a little good. Great things happen through small steps. And number eight, say to yourself every day, I give myself permission to celebrate and feel happy. Life isn't perfect, but you can fill it with perfect moments. Savor that moment and be in that moment. Uh, You guys have no idea probably just how grateful I am for you with everything that's going on in this world and in your own lives, it's just such an incredible gift that you show up and listen to the show. I can't wait for you to hear the episode that we have coming up next. So make sure that you subscribe to the show on Apple podcasts or follow us on Spotify. And if you love this episode or any of the 600 plus episodes, then please do something that would help us so much and leave us a review, leave us a review, leave us a rating and a review. It helps so much. And Share the show with someone. Can you think of one person? Can you think of five people? I'm sure this conversation is the kind that you probably would want a few people to hear. Maybe you could just email or text them the link or post about it on your Instagram and tag me at kathy.heller and I can share with Rabbi Aaron your comments. He doesn't use social media. I made him an Instagram account, but he doesn't even know how to check it. So if you want to let him know what you thought about this, then send me a DM. And I will screenshot it because I speak to him every single day, and I will share it with him. And lastly, if you feel like joining us in September for this fourteen women only Lux experience, you can go to kathyheller.com/lux for all the details. I'll let you know that as a bonus for those who do Lux, you also get access to my Abundant Ever After program, which is a three thousand dollar value, and you get a fifteen hundred dollar Kathy credit to use towards another one of our three day bigger retreats so there's a lot of good reason to jump on that and because there's only 14 women of course every single person will get a chance to be in the one-on-one spotlight so to speak which is going to be really really powerful i love you so much i'll leave you with a song have an amazing weekend
6: Thank too-